Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Like us today, earned his master's degree in public health and a doctorate of law degree from Washington University. Previously, he served as an in-house counsel at Green Thumb Industries, Inc., one of the largest publicly traded cannabis companies in the entire United States. There, he worked across finance, securities, corporate governance, commercial transactions, real estate, M&A, corporate transactions, and social equity to assist the company's market expansion and business development activities. Today, he's a co-founder and chief executive officer of UMI, UMI Farms, a Chicago-born craft cannabis company. He's a recipient of the Clio Award for the Community Benefits Agreement with Nature's Care Dispensary, West Loop, and BCB Masterminds Trailblazer in Social Equity. He's also a member of the board of directors of Chicago Normal and the Cannabis Equity Illinois Coalition, where he co-led the negotiation and implementation of the cannabis industry's first community benefits agreement. Akili Parnell, thanks so much. Welcome to Let's Be Blunt, sir. Hey, Montel. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely, man. So thank you for being here. But tell us a little bit about where you grew up, you know, what your first experiences were with cannabis. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I'm based in Chicago, but I was born in Birmingham, Alabama. I uh, spent a lot, of, a lot of my time there. Um, before moving to Chicago, um, you know, cannabis in the deep south, you know, is uh, something that is around, as, you know, it's 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 everywhere. But, you know, you the penalties, it. It, was that <laughs> it's everywhere, but you got to find it. You got to find it. And finding quality is also hard um, sometimes, especially back when I was uh, growing up and stuff. Uh, but, you know, it, it was always around. And so, you know, I didn't really become a cannabis consumer until uh you know around 15 or 16 but i remember the first time seeing it's it probably like nine or ten and i saw like a whole bunch of uh bunch of weed on the table uh stuff like that and so anyway to give it some context you know being from the south you know that the penalties for possession and things like that are pretty harsh and so um so a lot of people um faced with those those consequences, those legal consequences of possessing the plant and things like that. So it's always, you know, this sort of like unsettled, sort of nervous relationship with cannabis where you enjoy the plant, you don't understand, you know, why it's, uh, you know, illegal and why it's so heavily enforced. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's, it seems, you know, relatively harmless otherwise. And so, yeah. So, you know, I started, I started smoking probably about 15, um, you know, and then from there, it's still kind of expensive. Didn't really have the money to get it all the time, but you know, I kind of just fell in love with it from there. And then, um, you know, just sort of went on with my life and stuff like that. Ended up coming back to it um, on the professional side a little bit later. But you know, I've always been around the plan and stuff like that. So. And so you left out of, out of high school. You went to college, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, born in Birmingham. Um, you know, ended up going to Auburn University for undergrad. Um, had some friends that were, you know. Uh, of course, like using cell cannabis, stuff like that, just, you know, get, get folks through college and things like that. So, you know, of course, we're smoking in. And that was like probably the first time that I actually really started smoking on a regular basis because, you know, as a kid, as a 16 year old growing up in, a, you know, I grew up in an impacted neighborhood. You know, there's a lot of weed around, but, you know, I didn't have the money to, to pay $60 for eighth or whatever, you know, um, in high school and stuff like that. I was spending all my money trying to buy some sneakers and, and keep up, you know, as like a regular teenager. So then, you know, at that age, you know, friends have it, things like that. So, you know, get it a little, 
a little cheaper and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, just sort of fell in love with the plan. You know, it connects. It's all about connection and connected with yourself, connected with other people, having a good time. And, you know. Uh, so you, you consider yourself kind of like a recreational user through college? Yeah, 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 yeah. On and off, not all, not the entire time through college, but definitely beginning in college. Um, and then really after college is when I started smoking like a lot more regularly. Yeah, you have a pretty impressive uh, educational background. And did you did you go into the cannabis industry right out of college? No. So actually um, did a lot of other stuff after college. You know, I did some a lot of advocacy work, um, you know, up in Chicago. I moved to Chicago basically straight out of undergrad. And so that was back in 2008. Um, and then from there, I ended up going to law school. I, you know, I thought I wanted to be a criminal attorney, um, saw what uh, the war on drugs and the, and the criminal justice system it did and criminalize and criminalizing particularly black men and, and black and brown communities um had friends that i'd grown up with had, you know i'd gone to gone to prison for their involvement in the unregulated economy and things like that and just really wanted to do something about it because i know it was unjust you know why is it that you know the police are looking for black and brown people smoking cannabis and then all my rich white friends are using it and it's fine and they get pulled over and let go and things like that or you know they get arrested and then the charges are dropped but with us you know um you know it seemed like you know there was just no leniency no mercy and so i wanted to do something about that but uh ultimately uh you know it, it was tough my first summer i worked in south africa um and i actually saw the cannabis scene in South Africa um, when I was working there for my first summer as a lawyer, uh, working for uh, the public defender's office, basically, and lawyers for human rights. But as soon as we get off work, we're like, hey, we're, you know, we got to go find some some uh, some weed. So we actually ended up stumbling across this uh, sort of expat cannabis South African based community. Uh, but they had like these cool drum circles at this at this bar in Durban. And we were getting all that cannabis from there. And so even again, it was like just always there. So you know, um, people, that people don't realize is that cannabis has always been on the African continent, has yeah. always been grown there. And as a matter of fact, um, there's a burgeoning legal cannabis business coming out of Lesotho right now and South Africa. Yeah, so I actually, I actually connected with those guys. Uh, I think we're probably talking about the same one. I think they have the largest canopy. Afro Helios. How was that? Company called Afro Helios. I think that's them. Yeah, I think yeah. that's. I I've name. connected with them also. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think at MJ BizCon uh, a couple years ago, and so yeah, I think they may have like one of the largest canopies in Africa or something like that. But uh, yeah, we saw that you know the beauty of the of the, of the cannabis culture down there too. It's a really a global thing, and so um, you know, a little, little on the odd side though, because again. You can grow, produce hemp for export, but they don't allow you to sell it there, right? Yeah. So yeah, you can. I don't think you can sell it there. Yeah, I don't think I haven't been there in about ten years. Before I've been here, and uh, it's mostly just export, like you were saying. Yeah. Right, right. Crazy. That must have. And so, so did that spark your interest in turning this into a business opportunity for yourself? No, so that took a little bit. That took a while. Um, so I was doing that, that criminal law, and then you know, just sort of realized that you know that was a little too heavy for me as somebody that comes from one of those communities to see black and brown folks going in and out of prison, and seeing what they had been doing. I worked on a few drug cases and stuff like that as an intern, and actually ended up pivoting and ended up in corporate law. Never saw myself as a corporate lawyer. I went to law, I went to law school to do social justice work, but you know, it's sort of a common thing with a lot of uh, lawyers is that. Uh, you know, you end up working at firms for the money and stuff like that. I needed it. So ended up at a law firm doing M&A securities, uh, you know, IPOs, all this stuff that, you know, 
my background was in history. I was a you know humanities person through and through, all about the advocacy and the community stuff. So this was my first time really being in a business environment like that. Um, but I learned a ton. And so that sort of comes back, it's gonna come back and dovetail with my journey in cannabis um, and where I am now, where I was working at a law firm, definitely kind of hating it. Um, you know, I felt like I learned everything that I could have learned at that point. I've been doing it for three or four years. Um, not everything that I learned, but you know, it's sort of like the learning curve is is like this, and then it just sort of levels out. Right. And um, I got an email from a recruiter. You always get these emails from recruiters when you're at law firms about different jobs, going to this other firm, blah, blah, blah. And I heard about a cannabis company called uh, Green Thumb Industries. And uh, I didn't know anything about them. Never heard of them. Didn't even really know anything about the medical uh, market. Uh, this is in Chicago. Um, but I did know that I wanted to be in the cannabis industry. I've been going out to, to uh, Colorado um, after legalization. Um, I think the first time I went, it was like 2015, 2016, I'd gone to Native Roots Dispensary and basically was like, man, this is incredible. I never in a million years being a Southerner, you know, thought that I would ever see, you know, weed legal in a store like this is like an adult candy shop. So mm-hmm. kind of like just fell in love with the idea of being in the industry, in the legal industry with all these, you know, um, with the selection and never seen anything like that, you know, I there've been different delivery services I used and friends and stuff like that that had some good options, but I never seen it where you get like, you know, hundreds or maybe even a thousand different, you know, products available right there. And so I was interested, also had some other friends from the South that had moved out to California and got involved in the legal industry out there and started doing really good. Um, you know, they came from the, the unregulated market too. And, uh, so that sort of sparked my interest. And so then when I got that email, I basically was like, hey, this is my opportunity to get in. And one thing that I had heard about the legal industry is that there are very few black and brown folks in the industry, especially right. with uh, leadership positions. And so I saw this as an opportunity. It's like if, I, if they open the door, um, I'm kicking it in, you know, and um, I'm bringing other folks with me. And so um, basically just decided, hey, I'm going to get this job. And so uh, I went through the interview process, you know, met the met the founders, all that stuff. Uh, you know, they thought I was a great fit. Um, and so I came on and, uh, you know, did a lot of that market expansion work, um, you know, that, you know, in that stage where that company was going from a really small company to now one of the largest, most profitable cannabis companies in the country. And uh, so I learned a lot. But along the way, um, you know, one of the first things I noticed when I got in the industry and joined the company is like, hey, where's all the black and brown folks? And right. so I started trying to figure out where they were in the in the regulated space. I knew where they were, you know, in the streets, you know, in unregulated space, all that stuff. But, you know, where's our presence? Knowing that, you know, we have been so unfairly targeted and criminalized, we deserved a place in the industry. Um, and, you know, not just cannabis alone, but the whole war on drugs had devastated um, and ravaged black and brown communities. And so as we were moving towards legalization from medical to to rec, I got involved in in the policy stuff too. So I wanted to learn the business side and I joined Chicago Normal to do the policy work. That's where I found my black and brown community in uh, the legal cannabis space. And so basically went from there and, um, you know, ended up getting involved in some of the legalization efforts in Illinois to ensure that uh, the legalization law had strong social equity components in it, um, that it created real opportunities for black and brown folks and folks from disproportionately impacted communities, people that had convictions before um, and who had family members that had convictions. And, um, you know. Well, at that time, were you still working for that multi-state operator? Yeah, yeah. I was still working at GTI. I was just doing the advocacy stuff uh, on my own time. 
and uh, also trying to, you know, push the industry forward internally, both there and, you know, seeing things that like, hey, you know, I know my job is, is corporate counsel, but I have a lot of insight, a lot of experience on the social equity in this community stuff, too. Here's some things we need to be doing. Uh, and so I started, you know, using, you know, that position as a platform to, to, to do that work, to do that social equity work, too. Um, and is that what made you want to venture out then on your own, start your own company? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Honestly, day one, uh, I knew that I wanted to start my own company. Uh, basically, told the uh, the founder during the interview. You know, he was like, "Where do you?" I think I can't remember the exact question. Something like, "You know, where do you see yourself in five years? Or what do you want to be?" And stuff like that. And I was pretty honest. I was like, "You know, I definitely want to start my own company one day." So, um, so yeah. So I tried to just learn as much as I could from the perspective that that I had uh, as an attorney. I wanted to learn more about the supply chain. You know, I knew a little bit about uh, cannabis, but I didn't know, you know, all the ins and outs of cultivation and, you know, processing and operations and all this kind of stuff. And so anytime an agreement or a deal came through, uh, you know, I wanted to run and go talk to the people. I'm like, tell me everything you know about, you know, processing stuff like this or this machine or this, that, and the other, this real estate, why this location, you know, all that. And so then when it came time for the social equity licenses, uh, I love GTI cause I need, you know, I feel like you know, we learned a lot. We had grown from like, you know, small company to one of the largest. Everybody knew who we were, um, things like that. And I wanted to work on that social equity stuff full time in addition to building my own business. And so, uh, yeah, I left, um, actually started working on uh, putting teams together, social equity teams, apply for licenses in Illinois, and then um, got a job doing full time, basically social equity advocacy in the uh, in the. In, in what I call the green spaces, but the, the cannabis industry and the green economy uh, in Chicago. And so, uh, you know, that gave me another another perspective and a set of experiences that sort of shape, you know, where we are today as as a uh, you know, where I am today as the CEO of Lumi Farms. Watch across. So tell me a little bit about your company. The company is called Yumi and your brand lab is 11. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, the company is called Umi Farms. Uh, that's sort of like the parent company. It's the umbrella company. And then we have brands under that. So if you think about it, like uh, to sort of compare it to like another, like an MSO, you know, we're aspiring, you know, black owned, black and brown owned MSO. You know, you got Cresco, which is like a parent company. You know, they also have a Cresco brand, but then they got high supply and they got good news and things like that. And so we're putting together this sort of house of brands. And at the top is Umi Farms. Um, and so that's going to include dispensaries where it'd be a retail, uh, retail dispensary brand, but also be a product brand. And so uh, we have that. But the first brand, you, you that have your own dispensaries or you are selling to dispensaries, both, both, both. So we'll have yeah. our own dispensaries and we'll be selling to dispensaries. So we have a cultivation facility out in Rolling Meadows. That's uh, 66,000 square feet. They're in the process of building out. Um, and then we'll have about five dispensary locations throughout Chicago when it's all said and done. Um, that will be branded under the Humi Farm, uh, the Humi um, retail brand concept. And so the first brand, though, we mentioned Lab 11, the first brand is the one we're super excited to launch um, is going to be our extraction lab. And that's Lab 11. And so that lab is all about, you know, bringing back that feeling of your first high. You know, I remember the first time that, you know, some people, for some people, maybe they didn't enjoy their first time, but I love mine. And that's really where I fell in love with the plant. And I felt like in the process of uh, legalization happening, commercialization and all this stuff that um, a lot of the, you know, that that feeling of it's, it's sometimes it's almost hard to describe. But, you know, the, the, the culture and the excitement and the sort of. Uh, 
provocativeness of cannabis was getting lost with the corporatization of it. And it's just like didn't even feel like the same sort of uh, industry that I grown to love when it was, you know, quasi legal, you know, medical, things like that. And so really, we just want to bring back that feeling of when we first fell in love with the plant, the sort of cool culture of cannabis um, that, you know, we experience in black and brown communities. Um, and so we're exploring the nostalgia of cannabis and subcultures, the different subcultures um, in urban cities and stuff like that through our brand concepts. And, and what differentiates your products? I mean, you know, what sets your products apart? Yeah, so what sets our products apart? Um, so a lot of different things. I mean, one, our extraction lab and our team uh, is pretty top notch. Uh, you know, I can't talk about all everybody that's involved, but just need to say, uh, needless to say, uh, they got about as good experience as you could possibly have. And then in particular, it's, you know, a lot of black and brown folks. But, you know, we want to be cutting edge in Chicago. And so we know folks in California on the West Coast, you know, there's a lot of innovation with the products out there. Um, and some of that is kind of uh, slowly coming over uh, towards Chicago and to the East Coast. But we have insight to that and experience out there. And so we're going to bring that product innovation uh, to Chicago. So it's sort of matching that cultural and community connection um, that that, you know, sort of higher level uh, design and brand concept with, um, you know, really forward, innovative uh, products. And so the first couple of products, though, that we're going to be launching um, is our liquid diamond vape um, and our crushed, uh, crushed diamond infused pre-roll. And then um, after that, we're going to be expanding the product categories into, you know, packaged flour, really high quality flour, um, things like that. So. Wow. And um, how is the you know, Chicago, the Illinois market faring right now? The Illinois market is doing good. It's one of the healthiest markets in the country, uh, at least for the businesses. You know, I always look at it in two ways where, you know, certainly when I go to the West Coast, you know, it's like, you know, the West Coast is the probably the best coast for consumers, you know, um, but businesses are definitely really struggling, you know, in, in California and Washington and Oregon. Um, and, but that's not so much the case, not that everybody's just, uh, you know, crushing it out here, but it, Illinois is a really strong market. I think it's, you know, one of the strongest, if not the strongest for a business operator. Um, and, you know, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to limited licensing, but, you know, it does sort of help protect, um, it does protect the market and sort of, you know, sort of restricts some of their price compression or at least slows it down that you see in a lot of other markets. And so, um, you know, and then the other big thing is the diversity of the market is on the way. So the, the market right now isn't super diverse, but it's getting more and more diverse every day. Um, with these the first round of retail licenses went to predominantly um, black and brown owned firms. A lot of folks are definitely struggling to get off the ground. It's expensive, all that stuff. But there's an opportunity for us to have a real stake, um, a meaningful size stake in a really, really strong market in cannabis, which you haven't seen um, in other markets in the country. So. Are you guys white labeling any other products or are you, have, are you do, doing joint ventures with other people? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, we're looking at it. Um, you know, my, my grower has his brand, Chicago Kush. Um, this is a legacy brand that he'll be bringing to market. So excited about that. It's not exactly a white labeling deal, but, you know, looking at a couple other options, mainly just, you know, um, you know, it's got to make business sense and stuff like that. But I certainly want Umi Farms to be a platform for other brands that represent the cultures that we want to have a voice in, in the industry and be able to bring their products um, and their take on on, on cannabis. Um, and so we're looking at those kind of partnerships. And how has the cannabis industry impacted Illinois, let's say, economically? Mm -hmm. 
ton of ton of tax revenue. I think uh, I think the governor and the state is pretty happy with it. Uh, sales are you know not increasing every single month, but I think annually they continue to increase. Um, you know, third. Uh, well, surely Chicago is the third biggest city in the country. You know, that's where I'm based. And so uh, there's a ton, a ton of revenue uh, that, that that's there. And, um, you know, in the, in a good portion of the tax revenue, I think it's about a third, somewhere 20, 20 percent to a third of it goes mm-hmm. to uh, reinvestments in the communities that have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. And so, you know, literally the more cannabis you buy in Chicago, the more money we have to, to reinvest and, and, and redevelop our communities. Wow. Now you co-led the negotiation for a community benefit agreement. What does that agreement entail? Basically, a community benefits agreement is an agreement between really the community or like an entity that's representing the community, a community organization or something like that, um, and a developer or business. And it basically outlines their commitments to the community in terms of jobs, reinvestment and things like that. And so this concept, we came up with this in the beginning of legalization when the first dispensaries that were going to open were going to be, you know, and this is not uh, to bash them, but it's just only white owned dispensaries for the most part. Um, dispensaries owned by people that, you know, hadn't been, you know, unfairly targeted by the war on drugs in a city like Chicago. And a lot of folks from the community felt like that wasn't right and that wasn't fair. And so if that was going to happen, they needed to commit, if they're going to be able to open these stores first before we even got a shot, they needed to commit to hiring folks from disproportionately impacted areas. They need to commit to supporting expungements and to providing opportunities for uh, career advancement in the industry. You don't just want to come in at a butt tender and then 30 years later, you're still a butt tender unless that's what you want. Um, and so we outlined all those commitments, engaged with all these companies um, and sort of used the power of the community and advocacy and engaging in the, in the sort of local political process uh, to get these these community benefits agreements in place. And, you know, fortunately, the first one, we got a really strong partner. Um, uh, it's a company called Nature's Care that saw what we were trying to do and saw how important and historic this could be and, you know, signed on and is um, partnered with us to open their store. And they went and got a social equity operator, um, which actually I became a part of, which um, was the only black uh, or brown cannabis business operator for about two or three years, I think, in the market until recently, we had some other dispensaries open up. And so we actually ended up also, um, you know, having some rare operational experience in Illinois um, that, you know, other people didn't have that looked like us. Wow. And I mean, do you think that the social equity programs are really achieving what they were meant to achieve? They certainly leave a lot uh, to be desired. And I think all of them have missed the mark so far, you know, um, and that's not, this is a really tough thing. You know, I, I get it. You know, there's a lot of different uh, stakeholders, you know, there's, you know, the legislature, there's governors, there's the people, you know, there's different communities and uh, you know, you know about American politics, uh, it, it's tough to get things done. And so no social, social equity programs that I've seen have really accomplished what, what they have intended to, but um, I feel like we're getting better uh, every time, you know, I've seen the rollout in New York, been involved up there too. Um, and so, you know, definitely really proud of what Illinois has done. Got a lot of work to do, a lot of ways that we can improve it, particularly with access to capital. That's the biggest thing. You know, it's one thing to get a license. It's another thing to get the money to actually use that license. Um, and so New York is trying to tackle that. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, Are you in New York now? Uh, no, right now I'm actually in Vegas. I'm actually in Vegas. No, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I mean, as your business in New York. 
yeah so yeah yeah so my also uh, my partner and her family won some of the first uh dispensary licenses in new york um and in new york the first dispensary licenses were uh prioritized for people uh, that had cannabis convictions and so our teams are basically a family-owned team um is my partner her her father and her brother uh, and her brother had cannabis convictions and so one uh, two of the first uh, few dispensary licenses in New York. And so excited to get those off the ground, too. So what are some of your goals that, that you want to achieve over the next couple of years? Yeah. So the goals that I want to achieve over the next couple of years, number one is to build a dope brand with top tier products. Um, you know, it's black and brown owned and led. Um, I think that'd be really impactful. Um, in addition, you know, want to launch all these dispensaries. And so definitely, you know, we want to have a, a big impact and footprint in New York. Um, want to have a big, you know, retail footprint uh, in Chicago. Um, and, you know, we want to make a little history and stuff um, just by, you know, being ourselves and, and, and you know, and loving the plan and connecting people with the plan in new ways. So ultimately, that's my goal, you know, sort of like a, a, a black and brown owned uh, MSO. I want to be another one, you know, mm -hmm. Been encouraged by Viola, um, some of the other ones out there. I know those guys and love it, and uh, we want to do the same thing. And I mean, do you do you see over the next couple of years, you know, this thing, the whole idea of social equity, kind of, you know, I, I have not seen this. I, I think right now the number of African Americans participating in a management level in this industry is less than five percent, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the latest numbers I saw was like 2% or something or less. Uh, hopefully it's a little higher. I hope it's 5% now. It may, it may be. Um, but uh, yeah, it needs to be a lot higher than that. Um, you know, thinking about Chicago, it's about a third, a third, a third, you know, gloss over any groups, about a third white, you know, third, um, you know, Latino and about a third black. And um, the industry needs to at least reflect, I think, those uh, those demographics, those basic basic demographics, um, but probably a little bit higher because of the impacts of the war on drugs. It's, it's got to be about, you know, repairing harm and creating opportunity where it's been taken away because so much uh, money and wealth has been extracted from our communities in the war on drugs and this war on cannabis. And so we need to put that back in there. And it's got to be a concerted effort. And you're trying, you're like you said, you're trying to build a MSO that's that's minority owned which is going to be a big leap in this industry. And I, I wish you well and hope you get this done. But right now, would you consider yourself a craft cannabis business? Yeah, 100%. We're a craft cannabis business. We. How do you see that that coexisting with these mighty multi-state operators? You know, I feel like, you know, we can coexist. Uh, you know, we definitely uh, are coming in to take a little revenue, you know, um, and stuff. But that's fine. Um, and you know, I sort of look at it like the beer industry, you know, like I love uh, a Miller High Life, but I also love my craft beer. And, um, you know, we need a diversity of products and brands and voices at the table. And so we're going to bring that. We want to bring that that care and attention to the plant that maybe you can't you can't get you can't bring when you have 100,000 square feet or something massive and you have this huge thing. And um, in addition, we can do stuff with the brand and connect with the community and, and things like that in ways that are different. Um, because we really come from from that. And so I think that's important, too. Well, when you see the the look ahead and think that, you know, maybe the Fed's going to change its stand on cannabis, how do you think that's going to help or hurt social equity programs? Because, I mean, you know, I think if, if this becomes federally legal, I mean, the Fed's going to try to figure out some way to to make sure it shuts the door on the access to people of color. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, federal legalization can have uh, a lot of unintended consequences. It could, it, there's a 
potential good things, upsides, you know, banking reform makes it easier to access banking. Potentially you can get loans for it, but we already know there's a lot of lending discrimination in any industry. So I don't even necessarily think that access to banking is going to move the, the ball forward for, for social equity entrepreneurs necessarily. Um, certainly when it comes to like capital and access and capital, especially with the, with the way the, the capital markets are right now. Um, but you know, two AE getting rid of two AE would definitely bring um, that would definitely make things a lot better for all operators in the industry, and so if that's something we could get rid of. Um, then I think that'd be important. But to your point, you know, once we get that that sort of big federal reform, or maybe it comes in pieces, I think we're looking at a, another explosion in the industry, and probably a lot of acquisitions from companies that have been sitting on the sidelines. You know, big alcohol. You know, hopefully not big tobacco. Um, and things like that. And that will be a game changer. And certainly when you have interstate commerce, I think on the production side, you know, you're going to see a lot, a lot of uh, growth facilities closing because, uh, you know, there's just that price compression is really, really going to set in. And it's going to be hard. Well, to I, I have a feeling that even if we do see some sort of a federal shift, I think it's going to be years before we see interstate commerce because every state has, has, has etched out its own little fiefdom. Yeah, yeah. I 100 percent agree. They're going to fight against, you know, coming up with some national tax rather than, you know, 22 here, 14 there, 18 there, 64 there. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, in some ways, that's a good thing. I like it that, you know, Illinois is always just going to be kind of an Illinois market for, for the foreseeable future. And we're not necessarily going to have to compete with cultivators in, you know, California and Oregon directly, um, you know, genetics wise, of course, but not in terms of production, because that would definitely make things tougher for us as a small social equity crab brewer. So, right. And um, I mean, what's next for for you? What we we got coming down the pipe? Yep. So we're going to be launching uh, our store hopefully by the end of the year. Our first store will be our flagship store, which uh, we hopefully will be opening in Lincoln Park. That's the location that we've got, and getting it through zoning. And so, super excited about that and launching that Umi retail brand. Um, then Lab 11, we'll, we'll start having products in stores, um, maybe by the end of this month, but then definitely by next month. And so we're excited there. It's just like, you know, it's about to become real. You know, once you get product to stores and you open your doors on your on your first dispensary, it's like, man, we're really in this. We really did it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you're right. I mean, it's exciting. I, I just literally I launched uh, my brand in mass. I'm about to launch my brand in um, Georgia here within the next two weeks. And um it's it's re- it is really exciting once you walk into you walk into the dispensary you see your product displayed you know mm-hmm. side by side with somebody else's product and you realize that people have been picking yours over other you know it makes you feel pretty good. That's got to be a good feeling, man. Congrats on that, and uh, I can't mm-hmm. wait till I'm I'm in a similar position. So, well, I'd, I'd love to come in and, and uh, continue some conversations with you because Illinois is a state I like to get into myself. Absolutely, yeah, and definitely if you're ever in town or something like that, uh, you know, reach out and uh, you know show you around and. We'll have some product and stuff so you can check it out. Absolutely, my friend. Well, anything else you'd like to share? Oh, man. No, I think that's it. You know, I appreciate you having me on the show and this opportunity. And, uh, you know, I've been a, a you know a fan of, uh, you know, your work and been watching you since I was a kid. So it's cool to finally met you and be on here talking about cannabis. I definitely would have never thought that. So absolutely. Well, thank you so much, my friend. And anytime you want to come back and let us know how you guys are doing, we'd love to have you, especially once you get launched and up and running. Then maybe we'll come in and do a live one from you or do a live one wow. from you. Yeah, that'd be great. For sure. Well, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montella Day. And if anybody want to get information about what you're doing, what are your stats? Throw them out there. Yeah. So check us out. It's uh, GitLab11 on Instagram. 
Um, the website is the lab 11, L A B the number 11.com. Check us out. Um, me, Akili J on Instagram. Uh, that's mainly it. On Instagram. And so, you know, if somebody now it is, it is wreck in Illinois. So yeah. you can come in, anybody traveling through tourists can come in and find your shop, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, pretty much any shop in Chicago within the next, uh, two to three months or so, we should probably be in. So you'll be there. Okay, my friend. Well, great. Good. We'll be looking for your products and and really good to talk to you. And again, you're always welcome back here anytime you want. Okay. Awesome. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Thanks for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And thank you so much for tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.